to 5,000 to 1, the Athletics Leicester City podcast. Joining me today, as ever, is legend and former club captain Matt Elliott. And we've got two for the price of one. We've got another legend, two legends on the show this week. We've got Jerry Taggart, his old defensive mucker as well, along to discuss. Well, I'd like to say discuss the events at uh, Leicester City, but there's a lot, not a lot going on. But we'll still have a crack at having, giving you some details of what ha- actually is happening, what could happen in the future. And also have a little look back into the, uh, into the archives. Matt, how are you? Are you okay? I'm good, Rob. Thank you. Not so bad. Not so bad. Nice to have me old mucker, as you say. Less of the old, Rob. Don't start on him already. <laughs> Welcome, Jerry. How are you? Very well, Rob. Uh, as Matt will probably enlighten you further down the road, I'm actually younger than, than Matt, so there's no reason <laughs> for really to call me old whatsoever. I am the young buck at a list jail. <laughs> so how is the older statesman and Matt? How have you been filling your time during this lockdown period? Uh, just ticking over really, Rob. I'm, I'm quite good at it, I have to admit. I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm quite good at just relaxing and chilling and not doing a lot, but um, I like to keep active as much as I can. But uh, it's, it's quite restrictive, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm not one who, who naturally enjoys the gym work etc as tags will verify <laughs> but uh yeah just a couple of walks here and there ticking over um speaking to my kids going to see my mum and putting deliveries of, of wine round to her every couple of days and uh just getting through it but you know quite quite smoothly so far to be fair and jerry i know you're a keen golfer a bit frustrating mm. not being able to get out on that course yeah absolutely well i overlooked the course actually so just going back to Matt's point, I sort of agree. Footballers are pretty adept at isolating anyway throughout you know, the season. They have to stay at home and they have to recover, they have to rest. They spend lots of time indoors. Uh, so I'm not saying it's not an issue, but it's not something that we're not, we haven't been used to in the past. So that's probably the reason why we're, we're not finding it too difficult just to lounge around and not do a lot. I didn't think about it that way, actually. We've had plenty of practice, haven't we? You know, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you think, you know, apart from maybe one or two days during the week, throughout your career, you're literally confined to quarters anyway because it's about recovery, eating the right stuff, relaxing. And then, you know, you go into training every day or three, four times a week. You spend a couple of hours there and then it's straight back home. So, you know... The modern day footballer, you know, will be well adapted, you know, staying at home and making use of the time that he has at home. And, you know, it's, it's it, as, as much as it's frustrating because you can't jump in your car and go wherever you want. As I say, it's, it's, it's not as bad as it would be for, for some other people, I would suggest. Well, there might be some light at the end of the tunnel uh, in terms of a return. Um, we know that several of the senior members of the, the squad, Casper um, Michael, uh, Wes Morgan, uh, Jamie Vardy, and we believe Yuri Tielemans has stepped into the Andy King role, uh, the management team, have uh, held talks with uh, Susan Whelan, the chief executive uh, manager, Brendan Rogers, and John Rudkin, director of football. And they've come up with a, a plan, really, for, to get through this period and uh, help everybody at the club. Now, we've seen at so many other clubs, uh, Tottenham and Liverpool and Bournemouth, they've all gone back on plans to furlough uh, non-playing staff. Uh, but that's never even been a consideration at the club. And they did announce last week uh, that all staff that uh, match day 
and non-match day and the casual staff will be retained and paid all the way through to the end of the of the uh, of the, the season as it was planned but also the club have drawn up plans as well to help the NHS Trust the University Hospitals of Leicester and the Leicestershire Partnership uh, NHS Trust as well and Age UK and they're putting more money up as well available for uh, local charities to apply for these funds as well. I'm quite proud of how Leicester City have dealt with this bizarre situation. Well, you guys, Matt? You know, it, it's uh, excellent that the response that the, the club have shown and to be expected, really. I mean, you never quite know because it's not a decision to be taken lightly in terms of the furlough situation and they've categorically stated that they intend to go ahead with business as usual. Um, it doesn't surprise me about the players that they've at least put themselves forward, you know, to to speak to the board um, and and put suggestions um, to them of how they can help you know, lighten the situation, lighten the effects, and uh, if there if there is a, at all a way possible, but um, to take it that stage further, just. It, typifies the club doesn't it the, the way it's run i mean it's 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 on such a solid foundation but there's also a great awareness about the people who run the club um you know in terms of projecting the, the image of the club but also genuinely caring about the community that it's involved in and um you know and they also realize the benefits as well you know making the club a community club um, you know it, it brings extra revenue in in different aspects in the long run but these decisions are not made for that reason um you know there's a genuine affinity between the football club and the community and um and that's been shown yet again as it has been done on many numerous occasions previously you know with Vichai with his donations Kuntop is continuing in a similar vein and it's great to see, especially in these difficult times, it'll, uh, you know, it'll, it'll bring great comfort as well. And, um, and as you say, pride for the supporters, pride in their club, pride in their, their chairman and the board of directors. And their approach to um, how things are in this current situation has been great to see. It's not surprising, is it really, Jerry, to see the club step up like this? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think, you know, going back, trying to dissect a bit of what Matt's just said. You know, you look at the club's relationship with the NHS since they've come in uh, to be the, you know, the owners have come in, you know, to take Leicester City over. They've had a long-standing relationship, donated millions of pounds, not only to the NHS, but different charities throughout, you know, Leicester itself and, and, and the county of Leicestershire. Uh, and I think it just literally boils down to the cultural, uh, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm trying not to say the cultural difference that the owners have, but they look, they look at things in a slightly different way to the majority of other owners of football clubs in England. You know, time after time, you literally just have to doff your cap on because of the way, you know, the, the way when big things happen, and I mean disappointing things happen, how they step up to the plate. And, and, you know, just galvanise the complete county of Leicestershire to, you know, and, and basically reassure people and telling them that everything's going to be OK. And that's exactly what they've done again this time. 
and it's been fantastic to see but we're, we can't wait to see some football as well and uh, we've seen some of the uh, players in the Bundesliga return to um, to training although you know very um, light work and in distance at five uh, groups of five at a time and but there is some suggestions now that um, they're looking at a return for the players um, in May for a start again restarting the season for the final nine league games on the 6th of June to play through June and July How's that feel? Does that feel a bit too soon for you guys or do you think that's that's the best way forward now? First and foremost, I think looking at it, you know, obviously sitting on the periphery, I think it's vitally important, in my opinion, that the season finishes. You have to get the season done. There's three... People, I know people have come out and they're talking about voiding the season, but three quarters of the season, over three quarters of the season has been played. You know, so it's vitally important that the rest of the season, no matter how long it takes, that the end of the season has to come to a finish, in my opinion. And so I think they're doing the right thing. I think the sooner, you know, we all get back to some kind of game, game play, seeing the season out, getting back to that feeling of community, togetherness, then the better for everybody. So from a selfish and a personal point of view, I can't wait for you know, football to get back and being played on the pitch. Well, it looks like when it does return, it'll probably be behind closed doors, Matt. Um, not ideal, but really that's the, going to be the best solution, isn't it? You would imagine so, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I agree with Jerry in terms of the season needs to be played out, if at all possible. The nine games in a short space of time is doable. Um, it, but it, it, it's the format of it, isn't it? I don't know, I do... Wonder how, I mean, I know their intention. I believe it's May the 16th, isn't it? So generally, certainly for some clubs to go back initially and train. Gives them, what, three weeks to get some sort of fitness um, back. Maybe they've lost 20, 30%, maybe not even that in the interim period. But, um, you know, there's never going to be a perfect scenario in this situation. So people are going to have to deal with it. And are all the likes of ourselves going to be allowed to, to <laughs> enter the stadium? You know, yourself, Rob, involved in the media, me and Jerry are um, in a different context. There's still a lot of people involved at the stadium. And um, I don't know. I, don't... Matt, I think you say, no, you hit the nail on the head. There is no ideal scenario here. But I think for the good of football and the good of the Premier League, they have to finish the season. If it's all possible. Yeah. yeah, and if that means behind closed doors, then for me, that is, you know, the least of the worries. There's a, there's a, there, there's a whole bigger picture here as regarding football. And, you know, and it's, it, the integrity of the league stands on what happens with these last nine games, in my opinion. Not, not to say about, you know, the sponsorship deals and everything else, the TV monies and, you know, and, and, and what surrounds all that. So, f- for me... They have to stay true to what the league stands for. And if it means playing it behind closed doors for the last nine games or, you know, who's to say that restrictions won't be lifted even further, the further, you know, for the last two, three games, something like that there, we don't know yet. We don't know how things are going to pan out in the next, you know, three, four weeks. But if it has to be played behind closed doors, so we get to the end game, we get to the final decision on who finishes where, who qualifies for what, who gets relegated, who gets promoted, then that's the way it has to be, in my opinion. 
Harry's sponsors 5000 to 1, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they brought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. A weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover. As a listener of 5,000 to 1, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash Leicester City right now. That's harrys.com forward slash Leicester City. Let's look back to happier times, shall we? When you guys were patrolling at the back for, for Leicester City, um, how long did you play together as, uh, as a partnership for, for, for Leicester City? And did that uh, understanding between you, did it come instantly or is it something you had to work on? What do we have, Tags? Five six, or six years, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, six years, just short of six years. I think I... Six years of bliss, son. Yeah, absolutely. As far as the <laughs> partnership was concerned, I knew straight away. Let's put it like that, Rob, that I had to cover that lad's back, you know, because he... You know. <laughs> First <laughs> and, training and, uh, session. I think, you know, obviously we play, at that time we were playing in a... We were playing as three centre-halves when we started out and then we moved to a back four under Mickey Adams. But uh, I think pretty much... I think none of us were blessed with the greatest amount of pace. Uh, you could put Frank Sinclair in there. He did have good pace. But Frank was moved about from wing back to centre half. So if but if you're talking about between me, Walshie, and Phil Gilchrist, then um, we sort of pretty quickly understood that we had to look after each other. And so that that bond between me, myself and Matt was formed pretty quickly. Well, it was a great time for Leicester City, wasn't it? With so much success and uh, some great characters that you guys played with. So we thought we'd have a little bit of fun and see if you guys could come up with your ideal Leicester City five-a-side team from the lads that you played with back though in those days. And uh, we'll kick off with in goal. Who was the best goalkeeper? Jerry, who was the best goalkeeper that you, you would have in this five-a-side, fantasy five-a-side? Yeah, I would say probably the best keeper I played with at the time was probably Tim Flowers, but I couldn't put Tim Flowers in a five-a-side goal, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've done the same, <laughs> you know, tanks. I've done exactly the same. Same. Yeah, I, 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 I just can't because Tim, you know, as, as Matt will, you know, will tell you, was probably the least fittest man on the face of the planet as far as professional <laughs> footballers were concerned. It the dodgiest hit. How he played until he did, the age he did, I'll still never know. So his kids, his kids had to put his socks on for him, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he couldn't put his socks on. I mean, it was ridiculous. I. I yeah, again, you have, you've got to admire the man for playing as long as he did with the hips that he had. So for me, it's probably got to be someone like Ian Walker and that. You know, Ian was a bit more agile, get round the park, and he was big enough to fill the goal out. So Ian Walker's my, my keeper. What about you, Matt? I've, I've gone the same, Rob, yeah, <laughs> for the same reasons that Jerry <laughs> just said. <laughs> I mean, whenever I'm asked about you know, the best players i played with, etc., at Leicester... Um, or best goalkeeper in this instance, Tim Flowers gets the nod for me over Walks and Casey Keller, but um, amongst others. But uh, in, in a five-a-side situation where the you know, ball's up close and you, you, 
you're saving yeah. round near your ankles and getting down low regularly. Walks was probably, by Tim Flowers' own admission, actually, uh, technically, uh, the better keeper and a little bit more nimble and agile in close-up situations. So Walks gets the nod for me. Well, we've uh, set the bar high there. So to qualify for consideration, you need to be able to put your own socks on. So let's start with the outfield <laughs> players. Uh, who would be your first of the four outfield players, Jerry? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go from the front, from yeah. the front to the back. So, so for me, again, if you're talking about a five-a-side scenario, you've got to be nimble of foot, sharp in and around the box. Things are going to come at you quickly. You've got to finish without thinking about it. Uh, you know, obviously, the first sort of people you would spring to mind generally would be someone like Emil Heskey, people like that. But for me, you can only put one person up there, and that's Tony Cotty. You know, an out-and-out goal scorer, finisher. So natural was his goal, uh, you know, his goal finishing that in that sort of five-a-side scenario, he comes top of the tree for me. Was it just a pure instinct, was it? To, to... Uh, pure, pure instinct, you know, just I knew where, you know, that that minute piece of space would have been inside the 18-yard box or even inside the six-yard box. There was no one better than Tony Cotty than finding it. And again, instinctive finishing. Never even thought about taking a touch. It was all about just getting shots off, hitting the target. So he's your man for me. What about you, Matt? Yeah, it's a good shout, Tags. I was, I'm in an R-ing over exactly the same issue there. and The contrast of those two players... I'm sitting there thinking, like you say, five aside. I mean, even Paul Dickov crossed my mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, busy, sharp. It was a little bit of a toss-up, but I've, I've gone for a meal. I've gone for a meal. I can't leave a meal out because whoever was playing at the back, in five aside, 11 aside, whatever sort of game you want, would be absolutely terrified going up against him. When he was in his pomp, when he was at Leicester City, I think that was when he was at his best, to be honest. He was so raw. He was so powerful. Uh, he would miss his fair amount of chances. In truth, but um, he created so many for himself, never mind other players. Yeah, I, I, Tony Cotley on the bench amongst mm. one or two other good substitutes that perhaps we'll come on to. But um, Heskey gets the slot for me up front. And who would be supporting him then, Jerry? I think we're both we're both going to have the same here, I think, Tags. Well, 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 there's one that's a, you know, there's an on discussion, let's call it on it, and that's Muzzy, is it? It's definitely in there. It's, it's who sort of supports Muzzy in that. It's depending on how you want to play it. You want to play, you know, one defender, two attacking midfielders, and one forward. Do you want to go two forwards, uh, uh, you know, and one one central midfielder, one defender? I'm going to go with two attacking midfielders. Muzzy, Muzzy is it is in the no danger whatsoever. It's who supports Muzzy in that attacking midfield role for me. So, what makes Muzzy so special? Well, you talk about Tony Curry for me, you know, just being able to, you know, find that little bit of space inside the box and instinctively get shots off. Muzzy was exactly the same, with, but with a ball at his feet. You know, just a bag of tricks, you know, graceful, uh, technically flawless, if you want. Uh, vision, goal scoring prowess, you name it, Muzzy had the lot. You know, he had a little bit of everything, Muzzy, is it? Uh, and so, for me, he's probably, you know, the Royal Rovers in that five-a-side five team. Yeah, Muzzy was the complete all-round player and probably an even better five-a-side player than he would be an 11-a-side player. You know, he's skillful, technically gifted, got an eye for a goal, uh, create a goal, but he was also tenacious and tough. 
even though he's only a little wisp of a player um, and fit as a fiddle. It, it didn't matter whether how many games you were playing in this five-side tournament we're talking about. He would still be there at the end of the day. Um, yeah, the complete all-round player, really. Um, and I think he's he's held in that esteem by the majority of supporters, even to this day, isn't he? You know, he's, he's the standout figure and probably the best player I've ever played with at Leicester City, for sure. So, Jerry, who would be alongside him? It depends how you want to go. I'm going for an attacking, you know, obviously people like Neil Lennon, uh, Spring to Mind, Billy McKinley, Nicky Summerby, people like that. But again, I'm going to go for, you know, a quite creative player. And also what this player gives you is good balance. So he's a left-footed player, which I think is vital in any team, whether it's a five-a-side team or 11-a-side team, is that you need good balance. So for me, Steve Guppy just pips it tips anybody else at the post, purely because, again, his creative play, very, very good with his ball at the feet. Uh, you know, was able to, you know, almost like a Rick Holden, just get half a yard and stick a ball in the box. Similarly, get half a yard, get shots off, make passes that is going to create problems for the opposition. Uh, yes, he probably wouldn't do a lot tracking back or sticking his, his leg in to try and win the ball back, but... I think on the ball, with, with Muzzy and Gops, you've got two very creative players that, you know, would definitely hold their own and, and, and return a, a decent, you know, score tally for you. Well, I think Gops would refute that. He wouldn't chase back tags. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> he always said he, he, he played a dual role out there on wing back, didn't he? Uh, well, he, again. He used to, he'd, he'd run back. He wouldn't chase back. He'd run back. There's, that's different. He, he'd run back. He wouldn't <laughs> tackle. But No. <laughs> <laughs> Cutler will be delighted that he's snuck in your team there. I yeah. thought you were going when you said left-footed. I thought you were going for one of my subs, Arna Goodlarkson. No, uh, but he... uh, Arna, Arna was one again. Arna's one you could stick in there again. Very talented player, Arna. Yeah, but he certainly wouldn't run back though. You're right. That's why he's one of my subs. But um, I can't not go for Neil Lennon. I've got to have Lenny in there. Like, you talk about a blend and a mix. Uh, Lenny was the general there in midfield and. With his sidekick, Muzzy, is it? Um, they complemented each other so well. And I think that could apply even in five-a-side. Just a great blend, I think. You know, Lennon, is it, and Heskey. Not a bad little trio, that. So what were Lennon and Muzzy like off the pitch? Were they good mates as well? Yeah, they they used to knock about together. I think their relationship developed because of the fact that they played in the same area of the field, I think. But, you know, so obviously they were close. They used to talk about the football side of things. But you naturally sort of gravitate towards people, um, you know, who you who you connect with on the pitch as well. I mean, similarly, we say with me and Jerry mm. um, and Frank Sinclair also, we got on really well with Steve Walsh, of course. You know, I don't think it was just coincidence that we're all centre-halves. They were probably my best mates. I think they got up to a few antics that they're... Uh, a little bit reticent to tell people about, but uh, <laughs> some, some, <laughs> some, some of them got out. And, uh, yeah, quite interesting times, I think, they had on and off the pitch. Yin and yang is a good way to describe them too, isn't it, on the pitch, <laughs> Matt? Yeah. Uh, Muzzy was definitely the more creative of the two, but Lenny, what Lenny lacked in creativity, he, he made up in his, his marshalling, let's call it, of that midfield area. He, he played in them valuable role there. But you, another thing is you'd have to put Neil Lennon in there because it wouldn't be worth the earache if he didn't get in. He'd be <laughs> on at you. 
moaning away. He did love a little moan, Lenny, but um, what a player he was. Yeah. Jerry, so who would be your defensive player? Now, this is why I'm going to throw a curveball in. I'm trying to think, you know, what, what do you need as a defender in a five-a-side team? So one, you, for me, one, you need a bit of pace. Two, you need, you need to be able to read the game. You need to be able to call the game. You need to be able to play football. Uh, I'm also sticking Neil Lennon in my team, but Neil Lennon is going to be my defender. <laughs> He's going to be the one that sits at the back, picks the ball up and dictates the play. Because I think Lenny, and again, this is where people don't realise, Lenny started out as a right back. Uh, and was moved in the midfield. So he has those natural defensive qualities that you would expect. But also, coupled with him, you know, being able to get on the ball, read the game, and he was aggressive. Uh, and again, that stature, it's perfect for five-a-side football. You know, you don't have to be six-foot-two or six-foot-three to play five-a-side football. So Neil Lennon is actually going in as my defensive player. What about that, boys? Hey, Matt, what do you think? Uh, yeah, very left field, son, very left yeah. field. And uh, I like your thinking. I can see that. Um, I'm not convinced about the pace bit needed necessarily <laughs> in five-a-side, depending, <laughs> depending on the size of the pitch. But Lenny was quicker than you think, though, as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he I could, think it's he... more to do with your turn of pace, isn't it? More than being able to run over, well, five yards. But it's more that turn of pace. When the ball moves quickly, you've got to be able to turn quickly and... Yeah. and be sharp on that. And that definitely rules us too, eh? Well, that's right. But I mean, yeah, I was looking at it. I was, for the same reasons, you know, I was humming an R in a little bit. I mean, I was considering putting Frank Sinclair in there. Cinco, because he, yeah. Sinclair came to mind. Yeah, he's mobile and he can twist mm. and turn. He's strong, aggressive, defending and all that. But <laughs> even though... <laughs> I've had many years. I can't trust him. I can't trust right. him. In there. His, own goal, his own goal record just, you know, just doesn't do him any justice, does it? So, well, I can't <laughs> trust him not to start trying all these Brazilian, flicks. Um, yeah, <laughs> flicks and tricks at the back. Yeah. You know, he, he, five aside, he'll get into training mode, wouldn't he? And he used to do some ridiculous things in training. When it didn't matter, you could get away with it. But uh, unfortunately, he carried it on to Premier League games every now and then. But um, <laughs> so. Against my better judgment, and because he's made the effort to come on out with us, Rob, I'm going to put the Kurgan from Lurgan in there. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think you still need a, a bit of a barrier back there. Uh, not the nimblest, yeah, okay, but I think your reading of the game and your physicality can get away with that. And tags can start springboarding attacks from the, from the back with that left-footed wand of his, which he likes to remind <laughs> everyone of. Yeah, I think you've got a good mix of everything there, a bit of physicality, technique, mobility in there as well, and your creativity. And up top, you've got goals with Muzzy and Heskey as well. So, guys, who would actually manage this team? I suppose there's only really one name you could be considering with the Jerry. Who, who would be your manager? Who would be the gaffer? Yeah, uh, well, I suppose I would have to say... Uh, Martin, Martin O'Neill, yeah. I'm I'm trying to rack my brains at the other managers I played under my time at Leicester City. And, and unfortunately, none of them come close, uh, which is a bit of a shame. But that is the truth. Like, those are the facts. And, you know, there's there's no point in hiding behind the fact that, you know, Martin O'Neill is one of the greatest managers that Leicester City I've ever had. 
Would you agree with that, Matt? Got to go the same. Rob, haven't I? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one standout manager. We used to do a lot of five-a-side, seven, eight-a-sides, young v. old, under Martin and Neil. So we have plenty of practice to, to prepare mm. for this five-a-side tournament we're going into. And, um, yeah, with Martin at the helm, you, you fancied yourself against anyone. He gave you that that confidence. You know, he gave you that spirit amongst you as a team. And that would have been a, a great attribute, yeah. In, Rob, in can I fight. just add to that? Every Friday we'd play young v. old, five-a-side, seven-a-side, whatever it was. I can count on, you know, two hands over two, three years, the amount of times the young squad beat the old squad. What does that tell you? <laughs> Knowledge. Knowledge is you key. You can't beat experience, my friend. <laughs> didn't Martin used to join in in those as well? He did indeed. Him and John Robertson used to join in until it got a little bit too much, I think. Robbo, John Robertson, who did he make? He made one of the players on a Friday. <laughs> Numerous it, players. It never got forgotten about, did it? Oh, John Robertson was the best player on the park, even when yeah. he was whatever age he was. He must have been touching 50 back then, wasn't he? Yeah, certainly, absolutely. Certainly mid to late 40s. Big strapping on his knee. He just used to stand on the wing, didn't he? He said, feed the bear. Feed the bear. <laughs> so as soon as you hit him, you just couldn't get anywhere near him. You know, even though he couldn't move back then. But if you went one way, he went the other. He, he was he was a genius. He was a genius mm. of a player. Um, what a player he must have been when he was in his pomp. But um, yeah, Martin used to join in occasionally. Steve Wolford also. You know, Wiley Coyote at the back. But, uh, yeah, they, they were quite tense affairs at times, weren't they? Because everyone Absolutely. was desperate not to get that yellow shirt. Um, not to be on the losing side primarily, but not to get that yellow shirt because uh, there was a vote at the end of the game. Yeah, as is the case with most football clubs, on the Friday before uh, for the worst player of the losing team. And you didn't want that because it played on your mind coming into the game as well. If you did get the yellow, you're like, well, I didn't play very well yesterday. Am I going to be all right in the game, etc.? So... They were quite tense affairs. There was quite a lot of rivalry between the, the young and old, as you say, wasn't there? And more often than not, the veterans came out on top. Did anybody take the opportunity to uh, leave a little reducer on the boss? Yeah, they did. Well, the obvious one is Tony Cotty. Uh, thinking back about it, it was Tony Cotty at the time didn't have a particularly good start um, after his arrival at the club. He was struggling to get match fit and he was actually loaned out wasn't he to Birmingham I think and then came back and all of a sudden it clicked for him but during that period before it it started to go well for Tony we were playing in, I don't know, an eight aside or something and the ball was there to be won Martin was playing and Tony Cotty who never made a tackle in his career never mind in training before just went right through Martin he's taken him out and he's fallen over he's on the floor and he's, he's squealing and writhing in pain and we just stood up, like we just stood still, really. And Tony's jumped up as if, sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry, Gaffer. And the Gaffer was in too much pain, too much pain to even react to it. And physio came out and carried Martin off the pitch. And that was the end of him, packed him off. Tony felt ever so guilty about it. But it looked, for all intents and purposes, that he'd done it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, because Martin had left him out of the team, loaned him to Birmingham and given him a bit of a rough ride. He said there was a real guilty look on his face, but um, it wasn't intentional. They patched things up. 
And as we know, things uh, came around quite well in the end for both of them. Oh, absolutely. But I did manage to, to catch up with one of your former teammates uh, recently, Casey Keller. He's living in Seattle and uh, I managed to uh, spend a, an hour having a chat with him over the phone about um, US fans who have picked Leicester City as their team. Now, I when I first started contacting all these various groups around the States to find out why they picked Leicester when you know, you'd expect them to pick one of the more high-profile clubs. And I thought it would all stem from the title-winning season, that they would all jump on that bandwagon from the 2015-16 season. But what I found was that a lot of them supported Leicester way before the title-winning uh, campaign. And I found it fascinating to hear that a lot of them picked Leicester City because of Casey, because he was the national team goalkeeper. He was the first American passport holder to play in the Premier League. Uh, as well. Now, you guys have been over to the States in various places um, uh, on promotion for Leicester City and for the, the, the league and met some of these groups. Matt, you were in New York, weren't you? What, what, what did you find there from the uh, the fans that you met? Oh, that, we had a wonderful time over there. It was sort of part of a, a Premier League um, promotion event that, that lasted a number of days, but Leicester went over and we went and met partner companies, but also linked up with uh, the New York City Foxes, yeah, the, in the New York branch of the Leicester fans, and it was uh, it was amazing to see, really. Yeah, it was it was eye opening, really. The, the amount of supporters there, and in particular the fashion, sorry, the the passion that they had um, for Leicester City. The fashion wasn't the best, by the way. Now I mentioned it, <laughs> <laughs> as often tends to be the case across the water. But um, we, we joined in. We had a five aside tournament. Talking of five asides. Uh, over there, which was very interesting. Uh, the, and the, the numbers of them as well, not just from New York, but for this convention uh, that the Premier League were overseeing, that clubs were involved in, people travelled from far and wide. They were coming from literally the length and breadth of the United States. Um, and there was a Leicester City section of following. And uh, oh, I guess I would say probably 150 or so came to this convention, and it was it was exhilarating to see because it was match day live as well, and there were different games on at different times, all in the same building, um, and different games were being screened uh, at the same time. So there was a whole mass of different groups of supporters over there on the on the waterfront and the Hudson River. Uh, in the middle of Manhattan, it was it was spectacular, really, and um, but it was good to meet them up close and personal. They, they, the supporters have often come over to England as well. They come and visit the King Power itself and have a tour around there, and they get involved with you know the the culture of the club and the city, and they really embrace it. And like you say, that for varying uh, lengths of time, they've supported the club, stemming back to Casey, other factors of. Have, have, have been part of their decision making as well not just as is expected um, Leicester City winning the Premier League and jumping on the bandwagon there's more of a deep rooted association with the club with so many supporters out there what about you, Jerry? Because you went to Miami, didn't you? And you uh, again, this was a promotional little tour, wasn't it? What, what did you find? It's exactly the same as what Matt said. Really, it's all about Premier League, but within that your own clubs have a chance to engage with the supporters. Uh, and so, you know, I was able to, on the day of the Leicester game, I think it was Leicester against Norwich, that's the game they showed live on the screens in Miami Beach. Uh, so we had a, a group of Leicester City players next to our screen. 
uh, and you know I find it quite phenomenal. There, there was one guy travelled from Seattle to Miami Beach for this convention. Wow! So you know I'm just going back to the radio, radio what Matt's been saying about people coming far and wide. That's literally from one that's in a diagonal line. That's from one end of the country to the other. You can't really get any further. They just come down for this one day where you just mix, mingle, watch a game of football uh, and, ha and have a bit of a party. Now, I know it goes on all weekend, but literally he's come down, you know, just to mingle with, you know, the Leicester City staff. There was Philbert, Philbert Fox there, say the likes of myself uh, and some of the other staff. And, and it was all about, it's all about meeting up with other Leicester City fans from all different parts of America. And at the end of the game, that evening, we had a Q&A in one of the bars. And there was over 80 people turned up just for the Q&A. After, you know, having a long day, traipsing around, you know, the beach. Well, well the, you know, the weather was, even though it was like the middle of December, the you know, the, the, the average temperature, I think, was like 26, 27 degrees. So, you know, it was no, no mean feat for all these people to turn up that evening just to have a Q&A. Uh, so I, I found it, again, quite phenomenal that, you know, American fans have really taken, you know, to the Premier League. And, you know, Leicester City are playing their part in, you know, involving their fans and taking part in these, like, these fun, fun dares or, 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 you know, these motivational, you know, promotional sort of get-togethers. What surprised me was the passion and the depth of knowledge as well, even knowing all the songs that the fans sing back at home. That they really have immersed themselves into not just the Premier League, but into their individual clubs as well. well that, that's a major part of it, Rob, knowing the right songs, because as you all have probably witnessed, and certainly me and Jerry did, they like to enjoy themselves out there. Um, yeah. They meet up at the sports bars. The, the kickoffs are generally very early, but that doesn't stop them socialising. And <laughs> they get into the good old swing of things, that's for sure. And the, the thing is, with the early game starts as well, they're set up and running for the whole day, aren't they? And they don't pack in until until um, very late in the hour. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a big occasion for them. You know, it's a big part of their lives, as it is for many supporters over here in England, obviously. But, I, I uh, think yeah. that's the one standout thing, Matt, is... The songs, well, they don't get that in American sport as much. They get more like chants or... But soccer fans in America are really buying into the individual songs that each team's have. Uh, and obviously Leicester play the part with the songs that they have. You know, the fans have made up and they really buy into it and they really get it. Uh, and I think if you look at American sport in general or, you know, football else, I think, you know, in England... Then we have got the best songs. It's as simple as that. Well, you can read my feature now on uh, the Athletic website and app about the LCFC fans in America. And another feature that uh, I ran this week is I managed to track down Brendan Rogers, original youth coach, a guy called Arthur McLean, Star United in Ballymena. And uh, Brendan apparently was a very talented young player. It was uh, a, a congenitive knee condition that ended his uh, dreams of be being a Premier League footballer. But it was interesting to uh, to hear from Arthur about um, the, the start of Brendan's passion for football, playing in the Milk Cup in Northern Ireland as well for Ballymena, where he was spotted by Reading. Now, Jerry, you've played in the, the Milk Cup. Can you just describe what this competition is? Because it seems to be a breeding ground for talented players. Yeah, absolutely. But at the time, it was probably 
the biggest tournament in the British Isles uh, for, for, for young kids, for unders football. And you'd have teams from all over the world coming from America, Canada. You'd have Rangers, Celtic. You'd have, you know, your Manchester Uniteds, <clears throat> teams like that. And then obviously it mixed in with all that was all your local teams from Northern Ireland. So I know, I know, I remember Star United very well. I play for uh, a team called Hillsborough Boys at the Milk Cup. Uh, and that's where I got spotted by Manchester City. So, you know, it was just a breeding ground, as you say, for, for you know, the overseas scouts come over and, and, and pick the talent. Uh, so I was really no different than Brendan in that respect, where that's where I got spotted by by the talent scouts. You can read that feature as well on the Athletic app. Please join us again for another edition of 5000 to 1. Um, we look forward to, uh, to keeping you up to date with everything that's going on in Leicester City and hopefully in the future we'll have some football to discuss as well. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.